0: As you're opening your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to uh, uh, add to uh, what Ron said concerning the Burnett family. We are so appreciative of them being able to have an open mind, coming out of darkness into the light, and I encourage us to keep in mind that they are continually learning the truth. And things that we know and understand is extremely important the body of Christ, they are learning those things. And so uh, let's encourage them and and uh, help them along as I continue to study with them and keep them in your prayers also. Also, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm the only one, the only husband in the uh, auditorium that just kind of takes his orders from his wife on timetables and things of that nature. I apologize for the Thursday morning class. I thought... This was a week that we were going to be gone, and I don't keep up with that, and so Nicole had mentioned it to me, but we're not going to be gone a week, I found out. We're going to be gone just my normal two days, and so I'll be back Wednesday. I apologize for the class, but I thought, well, it's going to be difficult to uh, get into contact with uh, those who are not members here who come to the class, so we just went with going ahead and canceling the class, but I do apologize for that. First Kings 19, through 4 And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for and, and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. As we live our lives we are going to experience the valleys and the peaks of this existence. We're going to see the good times along with the bad times. We're going to notice the highs as well as the lows. That's simply life. I often joke and tell my children if life was easy, they'd call it something else. But life isn't easy. And our Christian life is no different. Not that we can separate our Christian lives from any other aspect of our lives, but living a faithful Christian will have with it highs and lows, mountain peaks and valleys. God has never indicated to us that all we're going to have in this life is joy and roses and cotton candy and, and all those things that we enjoy. But He also never said that we would endure the valleys of discouragement continually either. So we understand that we're going to have both, right? Because that is what life is made up of. Jesus warned, Matthew ten twenty two, And ye shall be hated of all men for My name's sake. Then He added, But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that wonderful to understand that though we will have valleys in this life, and we're going to see discouragement from time to time. We're going to have heartache and pain and trial and tribulation. Hopefully that's not the majority of our lives, but you know some people live in this world with that being the majority of their lives. We are blessed. That's not us for the most part. So I can look into the future and I can understand if I am faithful, I can see the end. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. All throughout the ages, people who were faithful to God, good men and women, they fought the good fight, they lived a life of faith, yet they too at times came into contact with persecution and worry. That doesn't mean that our eternal abode will be any less. In fact, we might appreciate it more, mightn't we? Even the great prophet Elijah, he experienced the lows of this life, didn't he? Sat down under a juniper tree and said, Just take my life, I'm finished. He knew the heights of success. He knew the depths of despair. And even this great man, this great warrior for God, had gotten to the point in his life where he simply wanted to give up. Now I think we can learn a lot from this great man. We can learn that discouragement comes. But that's not all we learn. We can learn from this account of man's history how to deal with that discouragement, how to overcome that discouragement, and how to be encouraged to continue our life of faithfulness. If we keep in mind the words of Christ, Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I think we can shoulder the burdens of this life and continue on down our path of faithfulness. As we examine this example of Elijah and how he overcame this discouragement, the discouragement that's going to come our way, I believe we can make those same applications to our lives today. I want us to notice that it wasn't always a valley of despair for Elijah. First, before the valley came, there was a mountaintop. Elijah, and this is our first point, had a great victory. He had a great victory. Let's notice that. What must you have prior to having a great victory? You must have proper preparation. You must have proper preparation. Elijah had prepared himself. He had prepared himself to be successful in his duty to God. During Elijah's work as prophet, Ahab, the king of Israel, had succeeded to the throne. And during that time, he had taken for his wife a woman that we know very well named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbel. In their names, we see their allegiance to their idol god, Baal. They were named after an idol of which they worshipped. That's how evil they were. And under Jezebel's influence, Ahab himself... A Jew came to be a worshiper of Baal. Now for us to gain all that we can gain, or at least what I've prepared for us to gain from this study, I think we need to understand a little something about this god Baal. The name Baal is a reference to a local deity or deities that was found in the land of Canaan. Baal was not always... Designated as a single god. Balaam, the plural form of Baal, existed in many forms. There were many gods worshipped under different names that fell in that category of Balaam. And some were uh, uh, rulers in the minds of their followers over cities. Some were greater than others. But the pagan uh, Farmers and people of that area, they believed that they were dependent upon and under the control of these gods. And along with that came good crops, came uh, cattle that were plentiful, and everything else that came along. They owed, they thought, their allegiance to Him for providing that. Now, when we begin to look at this evolution, so to speak, of this term Baal. It goes as far back as 1700 B.C. They were worshipping this god. Now later, this term would be applied to a distinct god named Baal. And that's what we're studying here. Now this false deity was worshipped in high places. Now that means, and as you read through the Old Testament, you read a lot about a king going and destroying the high places. Well, what he's talking about is The temples that were uh, built, and they were built on high ground. They overlooked the city, or they overlooked the land wherein people lived, and they would go up, and they would offer sacrifice to these idol gods because it was closer to the sky, closer to where they thought their god resided. And so we see this evolution during this time. During the times of the Judges, They had altars all over Palestine. During the time of Ahab and Jezebel, the worship of Baal had almost supplanted the worship of Jehovah God. But a clash was coming. There was going to be a problem. And this struggle between Baalism and Judaism came to a head on Mount Carmel. When Elijah, the prophet of God, came into contact, and confronted the priests of Baal. It was an age of unprecedented corruption. It was a time when Elijah needed to be there. He was right for the times, and it was time for him to come. And so he did. Now Elijah, he had already made his mark on Israel, hadn't he? We recall that through the power of God, he had prayed and there was a drought for three and a half years because of the wickedness of Ahab. So they understood who Elijah was. Elijah was the prophet of God, and so this battle between God and the followers of Baal was imminent. It was coming, and it was about to happen. We notice that Elijah challenged Ahab and the priests of Baal, gather all the people on Mount Carmel, and when. Ahab came into contact with Baal. Do you remember what he said? He met Ahab with this angry charge. Are you the one who's troubling Israel? Are you the one doing that? 1 Kings 18, 17. What was Elijah's reply? Do you recall? Ahab didn't like it. He didn't like what Elijah had to say. He said, I've not troubled Israel, but you. You have troubled Israel in my father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. I believe that there are those in the church today that need to understand that just because there is a messenger who speaks the truths of God does not mean when trouble arises that those people are the source of the trouble. There have been congregations torn apart throughout the world because of false teaching preachers, because of elderships that were not firm in the faith, because of members who just let things happen. But who was causing the trouble? Was it the faithful eldership that stood up? Was it the faithful preacher who stood up? Was it the faithful membership who stood up that caused all the problems? No. They were standing for God. They were on God's side, right? Do you remember when the Jews began to murmur and, and they began to rebel against Moses and the earth opened up and Korah and his followers were taken deep into the earth? And then we see one time when... uh Moses called the Levites to his side, and they drew their swords, and they said, Who is on God's side? And they punished those who were not. Elijah told Ahab, Bring all the people together. Bring your priests. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal, or priests of Baal, and then bring the 400 prophets of the groves. A grove was also another area where worship would be set up for those idol gods. So we read about Jehu, we read about the other faithful kings of Israel, or Judah rather, and they would go in and they would destroy the high places and the groves. They were stamping out idol worship. So when everyone was assembled, do you remember what Elijah asked them? 1 Kings 18, 21. He asked this. He said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. That's a simple question, isn't it? That's That's an easy question to find a simple answer to. We study often with people who are members of a denomination or who are not affiliated with any kind of a organized religion and and they waffle and they don't, you know, they can't really commit. Look, it's simple. If God is God, follow Him because He demands it. And if He's not, let's just ignore what's going on. So it was at this time that the prepared Elijah proposed a contest. You recall that, don't you? Prophets from each side, they would prepare an altar, they would put wood under it. They would take a sacrifice, a young steer, a bullock, the King James Version says, and they would cut it up and place it on the altar. And then those people, the priests of Baal, they would pray to their God. And then Elijah would do the same thing, and then he would pray to the God of heaven, and they decided the God that answered the prayer was the true God. As we continue to look at the account, we recall what happened. We understand that beginning in the morning until noon, the Scripture tells us, 1 Kings eighteen twenty six. what did those priests do? They looked up toward the heavens and they said, Oh, Baal, hear us. And they continued to do that all morning. Now there was an issue. There was a problem, wasn't there? Baal didn't answer. Baal didn't communicate with them. So Elijah began to ridicule the prophets of Baal. He said, speak louder. He may be on a walk. That stirred him up more. He suggested that maybe he's sleeping, or he may be engaged in some kind of a deep thought and he's not really paying attention to you. Speak louder. And then he said, well... Maybe he's out hunting or he's on a long journey and he can't hear you. Speak louder. He had them so stirred up into a a frenzy that they couldn't take it hardly. He said, speak louder, he may be asleep. Wake your God. They began to cut themselves and, and plead to Baal. To no avail. Baal did not answer. Finally, it was Elijah's turn. He presented the true God of heaven to the apostate Jew. He built or repaired the altar with twelve stones. He placed the wood on it. He put the uh, bullock on it. He poured water all over it. And he had also dug a trench around it. And he put so much water on it that it filled up the trench. And then he said a prayer to God. Notice what he said, 1 Kings 18, 36-37. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then something extraordinary happened. Something amazing happened. Something out of the natural occurrence of events happened. God sent down fire from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice. But it also consumed the wood. It consumed the twelve stones. It licked up the dust around and all the water was gone. He didn't just consume the sacrifice, that was the deal, right? Whichever God sends fire down and consumes the sacrifice, well, our God can do better. He consumed the whole thing. It was gone. And the people began to praise the true God of heaven. What a victory for Elijah. And the truth. But there was a problem. And we have to make some kind of application. doesn't matter what Elijah did, does it? He's been dead for thousands of years. Unless we make application for what God has left us with. Do we have victories in this life? Absolutely. We just had a wonderful victory. We had a couple obey the gospel of Christ, and we're going to have an opportunity to study with their four grandchildren. That's a victory, but sometimes we have things that follow victories that are not so nice. So what did Elijah do? Elijah had a victory, but then news went back ahab took the took the news back to his Evil wife Jezebel. And following this great victory, we see a grim defeat. You talk about going from a high to a low. Just like that. Because of that great victory over the apostles, Elijah expected a regeneration, he expected a general rejection of Baal, and it did not happen. It didn't happen. The news went back to Jezebel, and what did she do? She cursed Elijah. She said, what happened to the prophets, it will happen to you, or I pray it happens to me. She was on his trail. She was after Elijah. She wasn't going to let a victory on Mount Carmel stop her after she had spent all that time and effort causing the people to be influenced by her idol God. Does that remind you of someone? Tell me when Satan takes a break in this life. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to stop for a meal. He doesn't have to stop and rest. He doesn't have to stop and think about what he's doing to make sure he's doing it the way he wants it done. He just simply does it. He never stops. Jezebel wasn't going to stop. She was one of his greatest agents. And so she sent out this decree, this curse. Well, what about Elijah? He got up and got out. He left. He left the presence of the king and queen of Judah. He was so discouraged and afraid that he took a 95-mile trek To Beersheba. Left his servant there, walked an additional day's walk into the wilderness. He was hiding out. And it was there he sat down under that juniper tree. And he said, woe is me. No one has ever endured what I've endured. Now we're talking about the great prophet Elijah. Elijah, if he can be discouraged, I'm sure I will be. He wanted to just simply die. Does that sound like this brave soldier of God who had just had this great victory on Mount Carmel? This sounds like entirely two different people, doesn't it? But because God understands discouragement following the curse of Jezebel, God sent comfort. And you know how He sent it? You know what the comfort came in the form of? A good night's sleep and a good meal. While he was sleeping, he sent an angel. He left him a cruise of water. He left him a freshly baked cake. He woke up and he drank it and he went back to sleep. He rested some more. He sent the angel again. He said, wake him up. He woke him up. He said, get up, Elijah. Eat and drink. You've got a long journey ahead of you. A hundred and thirty miles he had to travel. But he did it. He took a journey of 40 days. And it was in Horeb where Elijah lodged in a cave. But God wasn't finished with Elijah. He wasn't through with Elijah. Elijah still had some things to accomplish in this life, even though he was discouraged. Do we become discouraged sometimes? And we look around and and we think, boy, it may just even be better if I just wasn't even here anymore. And then I want us to... Look around at those people who depend upon us. God's not finished with us just because we're a little bit discouraged. Do you believe Jesus was discouraged in the garden? He cried with tears. The writer of Hebrews said, Father, please, let's find another way. But not my will, but Thine be done. The epitome of discouragement. But He continued. He struggled He worked through the discouragement. Do you think he'd go back now and do anything any different? How long does discouragement last? I don't know. I guess it depends on the problem, right? But if it lasted our entire lives, what is that in comparison to eternity? Would we go back and change those things? Would we go back and say, Well, I would have just given up. No. Do you think Elijah being in paradise, being in the bosom of Abraham, would say, boy, if I had a chance to go back to Mount Carmel, I wouldn't have even started that trouble. It was just not worth it. I don't think he'd say that. We need to apply that to our lives, right? Elijah was so discouraged. He simply wanted to die. He said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Just take me. I'm no better than my fathers. What was he talking about? Do you remember when Stephen preached that sermon? Acts chapter 8. He said, you're like your fathers. You tell me a prophet they didn't kill. That's what he was talking about. He said, I'm no better. Take my life. But he had to be reminded of God's power. That's a sermon in itself, isn't it? Sometimes we become discouraged and we think there's no way out of this. What happened to Elijah? God sent a wind. He sent an earthquake, a mighty fire. He saw a tornado, an earthquake, and a terrible fire. All manifestations of nature. And then after all that was over, he heard this still, soft voice. And he explained to Elijah, All these things you saw? God wields that power. He uses that power to carry out what He wants accomplished. He is still in control. Isn't that comforting? Have you ever looked around your life, I hope I'm not the only one and it's just falling apart? You think, I don't know what else to do. I've done all I can do and it's just nothing's working out. God is still in control, even if Rick Owens doesn't understand it. Sometimes we have to be reminded of the power of God. He can handle the problem. That doesn't mean we're not going to suffer in this life, but He can still handle the problem if we allow Him to do it. God is great. In our time, how is God's will accomplished? He's not sending tornadoes and earthquakes, uh, terrible fires. He's not sending fire and brimstone down from heaven anymore in a miraculous way. But you know what? People look at the way God accomplishes His will today, and they say it's foolishness. It's weak. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18? The foolishness of God. But what will that foolishness do? Why does he call it the foolishness of God? It's not foolish. The world thinks it's foolish. But what did God say it was? Paul said it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans one sixteen. Even when the speaker is afraid and he's trembling and he's scared to death and he's standing up before somebody and he's preaching the gospel, he may not be the best, but guess what? The gospel is the best. It's still powerful. If we rely on the world, to get us through our issues. Defeat will always come. But the Gospel is powerful. The writer of Hebrews says it's more powerful than a double-edged sword dividing asunder body and spirit, bone and marrow. God's power can do it. But like Elijah, if we continue to persevere in this life and we live for God, we may have a great Victory, we may endure grim defeat, but guess what? If we will continue to be faithful to God and live the way He's asked us to live, we have an opportunity for a glorious return. This is our third and final point. That's what Elijah had, wasn't it? God wasn't finished with Elijah. The angel said, Elijah, you better rest, you better eat and drink because you've got work to do. We need to get up and get back into the fight, don't we? We need to to brush off that discouragement. That doesn't mean it's going to go away. It's just all of a sudden I'm not discouraged, but I work my way through it. I work my way through it. I keep living for God. We have to continue to persevere. How did Elijah do that? The exact same way we do it. A different mode. God revealed to him the good news. What was that? He said, Elijah, you're not alone. What do you mean you're the only one left in this world? I've got 7,000 that still haven't bent the knee to Baal. Now was that a vast majority of the people? No. But it was a significant minority, wasn't it? But haven't we always been in the minority? Hasn't God's people always been few in number? Isn't that why He chose Israel? He said, I didn't choose you because you were great, because you were small in number. We've always been small in number. Paul used this illustration in Romans 11, through 6 to always allow us to understand there will remain a remnant. There will always be a remnant when we see liberalism or modernism or anti-ism or any other kind of ism trying to creep into the church today it can be discouraging but what do we do we stand up and fight though it is discouraging you work hard and you do things and all of a sudden someone gets their feelings hurt for no good reason and they, want to, they just want to quit the church and that's discouraging brethren you know that, I do too but we need to always remember there are a lot of good brethren out there adhering to that old Jerusalem gospel. And they want to keep doing that. We need to follow the example of Paul and thank God every day for brethren like that, Philippians 1, through 3-7. In his effort for a glorious return, God revealed something to Elijah. He's revealed to us the gospel. He's revealed to us the gospel. Now think about it. We may have a bad life from time to time, but won't heaven be worth it all if we keep persevering, we don't give up, we keep going? I don't know how long I'm going to live in this world. I hope for a very long time. I'd like to see grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. I'd like to set some kind of an age record, you know? But what I want more than anything is eternal life. And if my life was terrible from beginning to end, yet I was faithful to God, it was worth every minute of it. Because eternity never ends. So in this revelation that Elijah received, he had determination to carry on. That's the example, isn't it? Isn't that the application? To his credit, he picked himself back up He dusted himself off after a defeat and he got right back in the fight working for God. He came to realize that if God's for us, what would Paul say? Who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. I want us to know in time, Elijah once again bravely rebuked Ahab. You remember when he wanted Naboth's vineyard? Elijah rebuked him He said, you can't do that. That's not right. You're stealing that vineyard. That's against the law of God. Naboth didn't have a right to sell it in the first place. So Jezebel decided to frame him and had him murdered. That was the end of Jezebel, or the beginning of the end of Jezebel in the house of Ahab. But what an encouraging example of a mighty man of God who had a great victory, who endured a grim defeat, but then had a glorious return. That can be all of us. You know, we may not have an example exactly like Ahab, but we've got examples of that happening to each of us. It's clear, even the greatest individuals and faithful followers of God will fall victim from time to time to discouragement. He got back in the fight. Even when he thought he was the only one left. You know, it may not be in this life, but God's faithful will always prevail. That ought to encourage us. The psalmist asked this, Psalm 42, verse 11. He said, Why art thou cast down? Who was he talking to? Oh, my soul. And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Have faith in God. For I shall yet praise Him. Who is the health of my countenance in my God? During times of discouragement, may we look back and reflect on this great man Elijah who faltered from time to time, but then he moved ahead. What an example of perseverance we can apply to our lives. And we ought to always remembering the words of the Lord. Revelation 2, verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. That's encouragement. Even when we are discouraged. Our first victory has to be over sin. We're not members of the church. We've got to do that. We've got to become a part of God's one body. We do that through faith, repentance, confession, that Jesus is the Son of God, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, and then faithful living, even through discouragement. If you've done that, yet you've become unfaithful. Maybe maybe some of us have allowed discouragement to interfere with our faithfulness. Let's repent of that. Confess the sin to God in whatever manner is necessary, publicly or privately, well, get that straightened out. If you're subject to this invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.